ask you a question uh, to begin with this morning. Have, have any of you ever done anything shameful in the name of the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about how much you ate Thursday, right, or since about being shameful. All right? I'm talking about anything that you've ever done in the name of the Lord that was shameful. I, I tell you, you know, as we looked at this, we began the, the 15th chapter of, of Luke. We began studying that, talking about the power of story and talk about how there is such power uh, in story, which is often why Jesus used stories to communicate a deep spiritual truth that he's wanting uh, to communicate to, to those that, that were before him and, and then uh, to us today. And so today, I want to tell you a story, and it's a, it's a personal story, but it's a painful story, but it's a powerful story in my life, and I want to share it with you. As we've seen, that because the religious leaders began to gripe and complain and accuse and criticize Jesus... Or hanging out with some folks that maybe had a questionable reputation, that, in their words, were, were sinners and, and outcasts. Jesus, it prompted Jesus to tell a parable. And it's, it's a parable that comprises three different stories. It's the story of, of, of a lost sheep. It's the story of a lost coin. It's the story of a lost son. But, and then if, if this were a movie, by the time we get to the lost son and, and the, the father receives him home and, and they're having the party for him, if this were a movie, the credits would begin to roll and that would be the end. You know, we would think that would be the end of the story and, and that's about when we would get up. And, and walk out of the movie theater. But I want you to, I want you to know this morning that what we're going to look at today, and Pastor Brad so ably unpacked this last week, but but because of the, the power of the story, we're going to go back there and finish up today. But I want you to know that all three of these stories, this whole parable is leading up to this climactic moment that we're going to look at in this passage today, beginning in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. But before we go there, I want to, I want to tell you a story. I have shared this with many, if not most of you, that my story as a, I was, th- I was 33 years old when I answered God's call to preach, and so, as you can tell, I've been preaching for about 10 years now, but Pretty soon after that, I, I had an opportunity. I mean, I am fresh off the farm, fresh into my, my first full-time pastorate, and I had an opportunity to, to enroll in a seminary class by extension, and I was so excited, and I, and I go there, and on the very first day of the very first class, I'm sitting there at the feed of those who have a doctor of divinity and those who have a Ph.D. in biblical studies and all of that. And they're going through the Bible and they're, and they're pointing out passages of Scripture and they're saying, well, you know, th- this shouldn't be in there. And, and, and this passage over here is, is questionable. And, and this passage over here, the, the, you know, the best manuscripts don't have that. So we think that was that. And so I'm sitting there and I was just naive enough to believe that before I got there, man, look, God gave us the Bible. I think we can believe it. I think we can trust it in it. And so literally, 
I, that rocked my world. I'm not kidding you. And so I, I go, I get back to the church in my office at church, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sitting there at my desk with my Bible open and literally tears are dripping off of my chin. And I'm crying out to God saying, God, I will never have the opportunity that these guys have had. I will never be uh, educated as they are. I will never have an opportunity to learn what they've learned. What am I supposed to do, God? I don't know where to go or what to do. or I, I don't know what I can trust or not trust. God, I need to hear your voice. As I just, and that set me on a quest. And I began to search the scripture and I began to look and I began to just listen to what God was saying to me. And I, and I found passages that says, thy word is pure. Every word is pure. I found passages that said uh, uh, that, that God's word is pure and that, that he would preserve them. And so that, that was, you know, I understood that, you know, that we didn't have it in the original manuscripts or the original writers. But I also understood that God did not divorce himself from the process of preserving it for us. And so I began to. I began to study and I began to learn. And I got just enough knowledge to be dangerous. <laughs> just enough to make me cocky. <laughs> and I'd be strutting, boy. Because I had I had it figured out. I had it figured out that, that, that man, I knew. And, and I thought, you bunch of left-wing, leaning liberals that don't believe the Bible. And I swung just as far back the other way and believed that if you didn't agree with me, if you didn't agree with the version that I read, it, then you were a demon-possessed heathen headed for hell. And boy, I believe what the Bible said, that it was as sharp as any two-edged sword. And to prove it, I would pull my sword out and I would chop you up into little bitty pieces and feed you to the fish any time. And I became so critical and so, man, judgmental and so condescending and and, and so, uh, as a result, man, there were there were some incredible things going on in our church. We were we were leading the association and baptisms. Man, we had grown to the point we had to go to two services because we couldn't fit everybody into one. We were seeing some incredible things happen. We were seeing people come to the war to the Lord, including my wife and my children. Marriages being healed, relationships being restored. But what version are you reading? Does it really count? Is that some perversion you got there? You know, so it wasn't long. Obviously, you can tell that it would have created a division, and it wasn't long that the denominational leaders recommended that I leave, and I did. And then there was a group around me, and we just started talking. So we'll just start our own church. Yeah, that's what we'll start a church that believes the Bible, man, the right version of the Bible, and we don't have to put up with all this. And then about three days, I figured out, you know what, we got problems over here too. <laughs> We're not all that in a bag of chips. And I was so wrong. How so, so wrong. And so if you wonder why 
I, I don't have any patience with critical attitudes or judgmental spirits. It's because I've been there, done that, and I have seen the harm that it can cause. I have seen it firsthand. I have not only seen it, but I have caused it. And I tell you that even today it raises its ugly head within me and it wants to, it wants to stick its tongue out. I was so wrong. But thankfully, by God's grace and God's mercy, He allowed me to be able to go back and to right some wrongs. Man, I'm telling you, even yesterday I, I saw somebody that was a part of that church. And I'm telling you, they love me. And I love them. And God gave me an opportunity to go back and, and, and to just confess some things and to make some things right. And I, I thank God for that. And, and, as, and as we've seen, it, this passage that we're going to look at today, Pastor Brad's so ably unpacked that last week but here's what i want you to know this this story it's not about who goes to heaven or not this is about relationship this is about jesus who is answering his critics for accusing him of hanging out with and associating and even eating with and welcoming sinners as as old friends and the whole point of these three stories the whole point of this parable is leading up to what we're going to see today. You remember, you remember when, when the disciples were out on the lake one night and it came up this storm, and man, they were just toiling and, 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 and was scared to death. And, and, and then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking on the water out, out to them. And, he, and, and Peter saw him and he said, hey, Jesus, if, I, if that's you, then, then bid me come to you. And Jesus said, come, Peter. And Peter got out of the boat. And, and yeah, he sank. And we like to criticize him for that. But at least he got out of the boat, right? He's the only one that did. And, and so right after that, as they got to the other side, do you know what happened? The very first thing that these religious leaders, these scribes, these Pharisees, these people who should know better, the very first thing they did was they were furious with Jesus and his disciples because they had not properly washed their hands in the ceremonial sense. <laughs> Somebody came to me and said, hey, did you know that Jesus and Peter walked on the water last night? Yeah, but didn't I see one of them reading that NIV version? <laughs> Nearly inspired. You know, the only time I ever see Jesus getting impatient and maybe even a little snarky with people, it is for people like me and you who are supposed to know better. Religious people. You, you know what? He, didn't, he had all the patience in the world for the woman of Samaria who had five husbands and was living with somebody that wasn't her husband at the time. Or the, or the woman who was taken in the very act of adultery and they, and they brought her before Jesus and he just looked at her and said, where are those that condemn you? And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Those are the people that he had, that he had patience. But it, it's the others, it's people like you and me, the religious leaders, people who are supposed to know better, that he looked at and said, you're nothing but a bunch of vipers. You suck the very life out of people. 
He looked at them and said, you're nothing more than, than whitewashed tombs. You, you look pretty on the outside, but you stink on the inside. You stink. And this is so ironic for me because as we were seeing so many people come uh, to know the Lord, come to faith in Christ, and, and we were baptizing people almost every Sunday. And I'm, I'm like, are you sure you prayed that prayer right? Did you say the exact word? Did you read it out of the right version? Of it? If you didn't, it probably didn't take. You know, the older brother by all outward appearances, played by, by the rules. But he brought more shame to the father than did the younger brother. And that's why I asked you at the beginning if you had ever done anything shameful in the name of the Lord. In the name of God. And all the time I was spewing, all the time, man, God was doing things not, not because of me, but in spite of me. And all that time I was spewing all that condemnation. I want you to know that I was bringing shame to my heavenly Father. Bringing shame to my Father in heaven. Let's pick it up in verse number 25 there in Luke 15. It says, now, his older son was in the field. And he came and approached the, the house. He heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the, the slaves and, and asked what was happening. Now, this village would have been about two to 400 people. They would have lived on a small uh, piece of ground, probably about like from the video store, kind of back to where Enterprise is, and then kind of around over by the feed store. It would have been a, a plot of ground about that size that maybe two to 400 people lived on. So here, here's the deal. Nothing was done in private. Nothing was done... You know, everybody knew everybody's business, okay? And so the whole town, the whole village had turned out for this party. And, and, and so none of this was done uh, in, in private. And so by the time that the, the, the older brother gets from the field, he hears the music and he gets there and he asks one of the servants what's going on. By the time he gets there, they've got it reduced down to three bullet points. Your little brother's home. Your father's thrown a party, and he's received him safe and sound. So, so your little brother's home. He looks a little worse for wear, and for some reason, now he kind of stinks. He smells kind of like a pig for some reason or another. I don't know. And, and, and your dad's having a party, and he's received him safe, safe and sound. Now, do you have any Jewish friends, or do you know today, how, how do Jews greet each other today mostly? Anybody? Shalom, that's right. And, and very roughly translated, it means peace, and that's a good translation. It, it, means, it means peace, but, but as in many cases, there, there's no English word that's equivalent to that, so we, you know, we have to add stuff to it, but, but, but it, so it means much more than that. And so what the, what the servant is saying here is there is, Shalom between your father and your brother. There's shalom. Here's the way we might say it today. That it would be holistic peace. Peace in every sense of the word. Peace in every way you can imagine it. Relational peace, spiritual peace, you know, emotional peace. Yes, 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 all of that. There's shalom. 
It, it's, there's peace in every sense of the word. And so here's what the older brother is hearing. Your brother's back. Your father has reconciled him and restored him, and there's nothing between them. There are no more consequences. There's nothing else. Remember back through the summer when we went through the book of Ezra and we talked about how God loves to restore brokenness. And that's exactly what's going on here. And so you see where this is going. Pharisees are absolutely ticked off because Jesus is hanging out with sinners. And they're mad. They're mad because this prodigal has come home. And they don't want to join the party. They'd rather stand out there and pout and pooch out their lips. They would rather grind and complain because Jesus doesn't fit into this nice, neat little package that they have made for him. They had been looking for him and longing for him. And when he came, he didn't fit that mold. And so now they're mad because of that. And they feel threatened because of that. So... Man, people are coming to faith in Christ. Marriages are being healed. Relationships are being restored. Believers are gain, gaining victory over strongholds in their life. And I'm like, yeah, but what version are you reading? <laughs> what version are you reading? The father, the older brother, represents a judgmental spirit. And a condemning attitude. The older brother represents me. The father extended grace to the younger son. That resulted in a transformed life. The father extended the same grace. To the older son. And that resulted. In a humiliating public Let's look at verse 28. It says, But the older son became angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and appealed to him. For him to refuse to go out, to to go in, for the older brother to refuse to go in, brought more shame to the father than for the younger son to come home smelling like pigs. More shame. He showed no love for his brother. Didn't even call him. He, he, a little bit later he said, your son. Not, he didn't even refer to him as his brother. Shows no love for him. No love, no honor, no respect at all toward his father. And for the second time in one day, The second time in one day, this father, this father becomes the suffering servant. This may help us understand passages like Hebrews 6, 6, where it says this. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. This is not talking about losing your salvation or Christ having to be crucified every single time you sin. It's about people like you and me who are supposed to know better, and yet we bring shame to our Heavenly Father, especially 
especially when we do it in His name. So here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Jesus loves the scribes and the Pharisees just as much as He loves the women at the well. Just as much as He loves those taken in adultery. He loves this father. This father ran to the prodigal. And he also runs to the older brother. And he loves them both equally. He loves sinners. He loves deacons. He loves teachers. He loves preachers. He loves pastors. Even those that do shameful things in his name. Verse 29 says it like this. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have worked like a slave for you, and I never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. He said, I've been here working like a slave for you. Let me tell you something. If all the father had ever wanted was slaves, he would have never subjected himself to public humiliation and shame like he did to restore his son. A few weeks ago, as Pastor Brad was going through this passage, and he remember he talked about the lost coin. And how that, that coin, even though it was lost, it never lost its value. And, and we talk about how, how do you know what the value of something is. The value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And so as we think about what was paid for you and for me, <laughs> I say we're worth something. And, and when we sit around and, and think about how worthless we are and, and maybe we have messed up, yeah, we have all made mistakes, we have all done shameful things, and some of us have even done shameful things uh, in the name of the Lord. But if we sit around and we say, I'm just, I'm not worth anything, I'm, I'm worthless, I feel so bad, I'm just going to go eat worms. What, what, we're, what we're saying, man, we're, we're putting... The one who suffered shame and humiliation. We're putting that on him again and again and again. The one who gave it all in order to bring us in and to be part of his family. And this boy says, I, I never disobeyed your command. He says, in anger, as he is bringing open shame to the man who loved him more than words could ever say. You never gave me even a little goat to party with my friend. Oh, so it is all about you after all, then. <laughs> it is all about you. 
well, I just don't understand why y'all spend all that money and all that time and all that effort. You know, in Peru, when we got needs right here, I don't understand why we do all this in the interst- I got needs too. Nobody, I was, nobody came to visit me. When we said it's not about trying to grow a big church, it's about trying to reach a city and a region. It's about trying to have an impact on the kingdom. We really meant that. We really meant that. You see, the older brother, his focus was not on the father. It was not on the younger his younger brother, it was on himself. And he was angry. He was angry because things did not go his way. They did not go the way he thought that they ought to go. And, and, and so, look, I just can't take this. The, the, the preaching is just too loud and it's too long. I can't take it. Things aren't structured enough. I don't know what to do. I, I can't predict what's going to happen when I come to church. <laughs> but you know what? I look around this room, man, and I see a miracle. I see a miracle sitting right here. I see a miracle. I see a miracle sitting back here. The doctors want to take your leg off, George. And God said, no, I got another plan. And I look at relationships in here that's been restored and marriages that's been healed. Lives that have been changed. In the early service, I saw a young lady who brought her baby that could have just as easily afforded that baby. But chose life. You say, well, I I didn't know all that. Yeah, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. It kind of depends on what your focus is on. Depends on what you want to see. And he, and he picks it up here in verse number 30. Verse number 30 it says, But when this son of yours <laughs> came back who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me. And everything that belongs to me is yours. You know what's interesting here? This term son. The Greek word here is technos. Technon. This is the most enduring word that a parent could possibly use toward a child. The the son is used eight times in this passage, and this is the only time Dr. Luke uses the word technos. The most enduring term that a parent could use. And in the moment of greatest humiliation by the older brother, the father turns and speaks to the son in the most enduring way possible. Your brother, he says, is not just my son, but your brother. He was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, but now he's 
who found him? Sure wasn't old gray. The loving father is the one who found him. And so here's what Jesus is saying to the religious crowd. He's saying, you accuse me? You accuse me of of welcoming sinners? You accuse me of eating with them? And and you accuse me of hanging out with them? And and you accuse me of, of treating them like old friends? You know what? You are absolutely right, Jesus said. I search out sinners, and I will use every means possible to get to them in order to bring them in. These Father's actions that I've described to you, that's me. You want to know what the Father's like? Then you look at me because that's who I am, and that's who I represent but this older brother that's you that's who you are that's how you act Mm. costly love was offered to the prodigal and even more costly love was offered to you and me Jesus said so on the way to the cross In spite of our hostility, disrespect, he says, I love you. And I want you to come in. I want you to come in and be a part of the celebration. I want you to come in and be a part of what's been restored. I want you to come in and be a part of what's been brought back to life. Jesus says, understand this. If I can't sit down with sinners, publicans, tax collectors, and all those people you despise, if I can't sit down with them, if I can't eat with them, if I can't welcome them, then I can't welcome you. I can't sit down with you. I can't be a part of what you're doing. And and this helps us understand in in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. It's a verse that we've used many, many times for uh, for invitation. Say, man, come to Christ. He's standing outside knocking on your heart's door. And that's a good way to use it. But listen to what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know, the difference is Jesus is standing at the very end of the church age, the Laodicean age, and he's knocking on the door of the church. And he's saying, man, y'all got a lot of stuff going on in there. You sure are busy. I'd like to be a part of what you're doing. Let me in. Because I can change things. Let me in. This story, it ends abruptly. Have you ever read a book like that or watched a movie like that? And it just, I mean, just all of a sudden it just ends. And you're like, what? (laughs) What? This story, it just ends. I mean, it just stops. What happens next? It's up to you and me. It's up to you and me. So, I want to ask you this morning, where, where... where are you in this story? You know, these three roles, the, the, the prodigal, the, the, the loving father, and the older brother, do you, do you realize they all exist in every church, even family of grace? 
even family. And so my question to you this morning is, where do, where do you fit in here? Where, what, what's your role? Are, are, you, are you the prodigal? If so, come home with me. Come home with me. And, and, and if you have, maybe you've recently come, welcome home. We want to connect well with messy people. Maybe, maybe you're the loving father. Here's how we would say that today. Maybe you are growing in grace and growing to be more Christ-like. Man, we need you. We need you so much. Maybe you're the older brother who just absolutely refused to come in. So judgmental, so critical, so condescending. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. You'll find whatever you're looking for. If you are a prodigal and you're looking for a place to call home, this is a good place. We will welcome you here. Even if you smell like you've been in a pig pen, it's okay. It's all right. If if you're a loving father, let me tell you, there's a lot of broken people here that need you to lavish some love on them. Who will just accept them as they are, not condemn them, not criticize them, not judge them, but just love them. But just love them. But if you're the older brother, and if you're looking for things to criticize and gripe and complain and carry on about, you can find that too. In in fact, there's probably a lot of things you don't even, I can tell you some things that you don't know that you can gripe for me, okay? But know this. Know this, you can't gripe or complain and criticize and judge and lavish love at the same time. Can't do it. Jesus says this, I love you all. I love the prodigal. I love the loving father. I love the You know what? Those roles are available today. And you decide what it's going to be. You write the end of your story. You're writing the end of your story right now. My question to you as we close is, wherever you are, will you allow yourself to be found?